If you have your Bible, your smartphone, your iPad, something that has the, the, the Bible app on there, you can get ready and open it up to, in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. And while you're doing that, let me just tell you a couple of uh, stories from my life. Uh, the first one, years ago I had a disagreement with another pastor. Uh, and I'm, th I'm thankful that eventually it got, that disagreement got settled. Uh, we, we settled our differences. And at the end of that conversation, he asked me if we could become friends. And I thought about it, and I realized that even though we had reconciled, because our views on life were so radically different, I knew that friendship with him would just would not work. Uh, because, see, friendship goes a lot deeper than just being an acquaintance with somebody, right? Uh, when, you, when you're friends with somebody, uh, there, there's a compatibility factor that, that has to take place, meaning that you tend to see things the same way. Uh, you don't see everything 100% the same way, but there's enough in there that you feel there's a compatibility uh, factor that comes into place. And, uh, and then, of course, that leads into uh, sharing your heart and uh, in, in, in intimate things. And so I just knew that was not going to work with this pastor. And I respect him. And I said, look, I, I respect how you have a right to uh, uh, deal with your life and, and live your life as you see fit under your philosophy. But it's just not going to be a match for us. And to this day, you know, we are acquaintances, but they're not friends. And sometimes people get that confused in Christianity. They think everybody has to be friends. But the truth of the matter is... You, it's an impossibility for that. We can't be friends with everybody. We can know everybody. We can build relationships in the sense that I can, I can know who you are. But how many know to be a friend means you go to a whole nother level. And that's just not possible, especially in a church of our size. And so anyway, uh, I wanted to share that story. And then the second story I want to talk to you about was the fact that... Um, my wife and I, this week, are going to be celebrating our 43rd wedding anniversary. 43 years. Yeah. Thank you. Where did she go? I don't even see her. Where is she? Yvonne, where are you? She just left me already. See, there she's, she's gone already. Well, good. Now we can talk about her. See, we've made it for 43 years because... We never have any differences. You know that that's not true. That's another uh, deception. Somehow people think that Christians' marriages are perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Every marriage has difficulties, issues that have to get worked out, differences, uh, because you have two people coming together and becoming one. And that's a lifelong process. And 
The reason why I believe my wife and I have been able and will be able to celebrate 43 years of marriage is even, even though we've had differences, we've always in the end been able to reconcile those differences and maintain our friendship and our intimacy in that regard. We don't let that derail uh, our, our relationship. And so from these two stories, one of the things that I began to realize is there are different levels to reconciliation. And then I started thinking, is that true in the spiritual life? In our spiritual journey, are there levels to reconciliation? Let's look at uh, Colossians now in chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, the him is Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so the, the apostle Paul, writing to the church of, of Colossae now, hears about their faith in Christ, hears about their love for one another, and now in writing to them, he's talking about Jesus Christ and, re and reminding them in, that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the fullness of God. In other words, what he was telling the Colossian church is when Christ walked this earth, he was much more than a prophet as some people thought that he was. He was God in the flesh. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, now through the death of Christ, God reconciled us. He, he, making peace through the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross at Calvary. Now, this word reconcile actually has two meanings to it, or if I to use it in the phrase of our, the title of our message, two levels uh, to it. And so let's look at it. The first one is to settle a difference or a quarrel. That's the first level. And the second level is to make friendly again. In other words, you can be reconciled where you settle a difference or a quarrel, but yet still not be friends. And then there is the other level where you can now not only settle something, but you now are friends. You establish that intimate factor now. 
So the first question we need to look at is, why do we need reconciliation? Why do we need this thing called peace with God? Now, notice that in verse 21, and if you could put verse 21 back up onto the screen, you'll find that Paul said, once we were alienated from God and were what? Enemies in our minds. So once, what does that mean, once? Well, we're all born with what we, uh, the Bible calls a sinful nature. No one is born an angel. Come on, look at your neighbor, tell them, you certainly were not born an angel. Listen, parents, no matter how beautiful your child is, she's not a little angel. He's not a little angel. We're all born with this thing called a sinful nature, which means, simply put, that we are born separated from God. That's what alienated means. We have no relationship with God. And because we have no relationship with God, we, we have this sinful nature in that it is natural for us to disobey God. It is natural for us to rebel against God and rebel against his commandments. And we see that as children start to grow. I said this a gazillion times. I'll say it again. Isn't it interesting and fascinating that there's a word you never, ever have to teach a child? And that's the word no. Right? You look, look at that child, and all of a sudden they'll tell you, go, go to your room. No. Where did they learn the word no? It's part of their DNA. The rebellion part that, that's, in, that's in all of us comes out at an early age. And as we continue to grow physically, emotionally, and mentally, our thoughts become more sinful. Our acts become more sinful, making us an enemy of God. Yes. So Paul said, Paul, you were once an enemy of God. Well, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 7, where the Bible says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. The sinful nature, the nature that we're all born with, is always hostile. The word hostile there means a warlike enemy. In the natural, we are a, a warlike enemy. We are hostile against God. Why? Because we're always fighting God. In that we desire and we insist on living our life the way we want to live it. We want to be king of our life. We want to be our own God. We want no one to tell us what to do. We want to dictate our own actions. We want to dictate our own desires. We want to be in full control of our lives, and we don't want to surrender our life to God. Don't tell me I have to live a certain way. I want to live the way I want to live. And that's our sinful nature. And so we naturally rebel against God and we begin to actually fight against God spiritually in that we are insisting to go our own way. And thus we become an enemy of God. Now, because God loves us so, he created this path for making peace with his enemy. 
And that making peace, meaning he wanted to bring an end to the hostility factor and to, to reconcile us back to himself through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Romans chapter 5, let's look at verse 10 and 11 there. The Bible says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want you to think for a moment and, and consider the, the, the incredible love that God has for us. Because the Bible teaches us there and declares that while we were still God's enemy, he desired so much to end that hostility that he made the move of sacrificing his son to pay for our sins. Think about that today. If I am an enemy uh, of Danny's and Danny is my enemy, I want to reconcile with Danny. But in our human nature is, I want to reconcile with you, but I want you to reconcile with me. You got to meet me halfway. This is not a one-way street. So what are we going to do to end the hostility between us? The last thing I would ever think of doing is, I'm going to surrender my son and kill my son so that you can live. That's what God did for you and I. That while we were still sinner, while we still cursed his name, while we still rebelled against him, in spite of everything we've ever said and done, God loves us so much that he made the first move in this reconciliation, saying, I'm going to demonstrate to you the depth of my love for you, even while you curse my name. I still want to reconcile you, and I'll do that through the death of my son. Blessed be his wonderful name. That was a great place for you to say amen. And so, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. So now, the next question is, are there levels of reconciliation spiritually? I believe they are. I believe that there are those two levels that we mentioned earlier. In fact, listen, the first level of reconciliation is settling the differences and quarrels. In other words, when we understand just how much God loves us, when we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins so that we could know what it is to be forgiven uh, that, and, and, and know that it's not because of my, I'm, a, I'm a good person. It's not because I promised God never to do that again. It's not because I'm a part of a specific religion on the face of this earth. But the only reason that I am reconciled to God, that I am no longer at an enemy of God, that there is now peace between me and God, is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. When I embrace that, when I believe that and embrace that, 
that, that through Christ's blood, I'm no longer an enemy of God, that now I have peace with God, I've reached the first level of reconciliation. That's because the quarrel between God and me has been settled and put away. The differences that kept me at odds with God has been dealt with and put away. I mean, we say amen to that. Isn't it great that we are reconciled to God, that we're, our sins are not held against us, uh, but that God, the Bible teaches us, forgives us of our sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. We are no longer at war with God. We are now entering into that realm where now we have peace with God. Blessed be his wonderful name. And as wonderful as that is, there is the second level that we need to look at. And the second level of reconciliation is this, friendship with God. Friendship with God. You see, friendship, we're talking about a deepened relationship with God. That through the sacrifice of Christ, Paul said, in God's sight, we are holy. And that word holy there means to be set apart for God. We are holy. We are set apart for God. We are without blemish and free of accusation. These are judicial terms in that think of it as a court and God the judge is now looking at you and I through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he sees us, he sees perfection. Amen. Now, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I don't see perfection in my life. I know I'm not far from perfect. I know all of us are far from perfect. But see, when it comes to the Father, he doesn't look at you in the natural. He looks at you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, he says, holy, set apart now. Because of that, he says, I don't see any blemish. I don't see any fault. You are free from all accusation. And you know how many of the Bible says the devil is the one that accuses us before God. And so you have an accuser coming and, and God silences is the accuser by the blood of the Lamb of God. Glory to God. And that simply means that there is nothing that can keep us from having this relationship with God. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, listen to what the Bible says. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, here it is, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. 
So in other words, the Bible is saying because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, because of his blood that was spilt there, that brings forgiveness for our sins, that puts us in a right standing with God, therefore, don't stay on the outside looking in, draw near to God. In other words, the Bible is exhorting us that he wants you and I to have that deeper relationship with God, to have a friendship with God. You know, a friend is somebody that you confide in. A friend is somebody who knows you best and still loves you, right? They know all the, your quirks and they all your faults, but they still love you. A friend is someone who when everybody else goes, goes out the door, they're the ones that are coming in. In other words, a friend, the Bible says, sticks closer than a brother. When times are hard and nobody's around to be found, they're the only ones that are by your side. That's what God wants to be with us. God wants us to be that friend, the one that we, we tell him all of our hearts, to confide in him, to build that relationship with him to the measure we tell him our hopes, our dreams. We tell him our life's disappointments and the things that are, we're frustrated about. Listen, don't think that you have to have a relationship with God where everything is so spiritual. And by that I mean people think that they can't be real with God. Have you ever told God you're angry? Well, I have. Have you ever told God you don't like what he's doing? I have. See, if you have a friend that you, that, that you can call, if you want to call God friend, you, you be, need to be able to say, I can tell God anything. I'm not, I'm not concerned that God's going to strike me dead because I'm real and honest with God. Why? Because God's my friend. Because we have that relationship where I've gone to that whole nother level of reconciliation where I tell him my heart. And I know that the Bible tells me that no matter what happens, he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Amen. Blessed be his wonderful name. Now, remember the friends have this deeper level of acquaintance, a deeper level, it's called intimacy. And then I know that, especially guys, guys get almost, oh, I don't start talking about the I word, intimacy. Oof. Intimacy just simply means I'm gonna share my heart as God shares his heart with me. Do you know God's looking for a friend? Do you know God wants to speak to you and share to you, with you intimate things? That's why Christ died on the cross. So that you and I could not be just a group of people that have embraced Christ as Savior and we're on the outside looking in. The saddest thing, the thing that must break the heart of God is that he desires to be friends with us, but so many stand so far off and live their Christian journey as an acquaintance rather than a friend. Respectful, there's God, here's me. I do what I'm supposed to do, but that deeper relationship, well, that's not my thing, you know. See, the question I want us to all ponder this morning 
is do you want to be a friend to God? Remember Abraham? He's called in the Bible the friend of God. And remember, there was a, an occasion where there was, a, there was a two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah, that were noted for great evil. And the sin was so strong in these two towns that God came down in the flesh with two angels and he stopped off at Abraham's tent. And Abraham knew right away it was God. And he begins this conversation with God. And one of the things God says is, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? In other words, God is talking to his friend. He said, I- I'm going to do something. I don't, even want to, I don't want to keep it from you. And in this conversation with Abraham, Abraham realizes, well, my nephew Lot is living in that town. And God's saying he's going to destroy that town. I got to have a conversation with God. And now he carries on this conversation asking God, well, what if you find 50 people there that are righteous? Will you destroy everybody for 50? And God said, no. And he keeps going down. What about 45? What about 40? What about 35? Don't get angry with me, God, but what about 25? And he keeps this conversation going with God. And brothers and sisters, that's the intimate level that God wants to have with you and I. You see, people have this warped up mentality that God only wants to have that kind of relationship with pastors and evangelists or whatever the case might be. No, God wants to have this uh, kind of relationship with every single one of his children. That he would reveal to you the thoughts that he has. The things that move his heart. Are we acquaintances or are we friends with God? See, being friends with God is the ultimate reason why Christ died on the cross. God sent his son to die on the cross, yes, to put away sin so that we would know what it is to have our sins forgiven, so that we can step into that first level of reconciliation. I am now right with God because I've embraced Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not right with God because I'm I'm a, a part of a religion. I'm not right with God because I'm living a moral life. I'm right with God because I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But if we only go to that level, we still grieve the heart of God. We still miss out the very reason why God sent his son to die. Because as we said last week, and Pastor Jason mentioned a few moments ago, when Jesus breathed his last, the veil in the temple was rent, exposing God's presence to all. God desires this level of intimacy, this relationship where you talk to him and share your heart with him. And now, then you get to say, God, I want to hear your heart. I want to hear your voice. I want you to talk to me and let me know what you desire. And this level, brothers and sisters, there is no cap on it. There's no pinnacle. You can't say, well, I know everything there is to know about my friend. 
You, you, never, you and I will never be able to say that. Right? Because there was new, there's new mysteries that God wants to reveal to us. Uh, I think in many ways, Pastor Jason, if you will come, because you're going to have to save me in a moment. I think in many ways, God's a female. It, well, let, in one way. Let me, say, let, me, let me retract that statement. I think in one way, God is a female. Did you know that a female is the most complicated creature God has ever created? Oh, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. You can't figure out a woman. Just when you think you got her figured out, she throws you a curveball. That is the biggest frustration among husbands. Because husbands, we're created by God to think logically. So, no, listen, don't, don't go there on me now. Stay with me and follow me. We look at life through the lens of logic. So we, we process even our relationship with our wives logically. And we tend to look at, well, if she does this, it's because she does, likes that. So if she likes that, if I, if I make sure she gets that, everything is going to work out rosy. And it does the first time. And then you think, I got this now. And then you try to do it the second time, and she goes, what is that? Just because it worked the last time don't mean it working today. And you're like, wow, what, what did I go wrong? You went wrong in thinking that you had her down, that you, that you got it all together. You know everything there is to know. I've been married to this woman going to be 43 years this week. I'm still trying to figure her out. But isn't that the joy of marriage? I think it is. I think that that's the secret to being successfully married, to realize, man, if I had her figured out, life would get a little bit boring. But because I never know what she's going to do, I got to stay on my toes. I can't stop rapping to her and winning her heart. I got to throw down just like I did when I, when I was trying to win her heart the first time before we were married. Come on, I'm talking to some of you husbands out here today. Well, in like manner, sometimes we think, I know everything there is to know about God. There's nothing new that I could learn any longer. It's such a sad statement. Because the truth of the matter is, you can't exhaust knowing God, learning new things about his heart. And that's why in this second level, you and I need to realize there's now deeper levels to the second level where I'm constantly going to the Lord, asking him, come on, God, today, show me something new from your heart. Reveal to me something that I don't know about you today. I want to know you in a more intimate way. Some of the old hymns, speak about knowing God. And when you look at, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, now think about this, the Apostle Paul was taken spiritually up into heaven, and he says in Corinthians, I saw things I can't even speak about. He was inspired by the Spirit of God and wrote most of our New Testament. And yet he said, in Philippians chapter 3, oh that I might know him. 
haven't gotten there yet, but I'm pressing forward to know him. I'm pushing ahead because I got to know this Christ who loved me and died for me. That's the heart of God. That you and I would pursue after him to get to know him. Not to get things from him. And that's, listen, there's nothing wrong with getting blessings from God. Don't get me wrong. But if that's all we have in our relationship, isn't that such a weak relationship? No, we want to get to know God himself. Because that's the greatest blessing God could ever impart in all of our lives. Stand with me. Talk about levels of reconciliation this morning. That first level is settling the differences, the Greek, the quarrels, where the blood of Jesus has settled that hostility and we're no longer enemies of God. And that's wonderful. We thank God for that. In the morning, in a moment, as we get prepared to do communion, we're going to celebrate this level that we have our sins forgiven and that we have peace with God. But we also want to use this to remind us this morning that we need to get to the second level as well and continue to go deeper into that level to know the God that loves us and that set this son to die for us, to deepen our relationship with him.